This is the day the Lord has made. Amen. The sermon for this 13th Sunday in Trinity is according to St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 23 to 27. There are some things in life that you don't have to be taught, or things you just can't be taught. Some things you are just born with it. Some have it. Some don't. There are some things you can teach. You can teach somebody about baseball, and I think you should. You can even teach them how to hit a baseball. Really. But, as my dad would say, you can't teach the inner drive and desire to want to practice and to perfect that skill. You can't teach the love of it, the drive to succeed at it. Some people have it, some people don't. You can teach managerial leadership skills, but not everyone is a leader. Some are natural born leaders, since some are followers by nature. Some lead and some are too busy worrying about what everybody else thinks in order to lead properly. Some have it, some don't. The reason I begin this way is because as we turn our attention to the gospel lesson, the parable as we like to call it of the Good Samaritan, we hear Jesus teach, now you go and do likewise. We get it, right? The meaning is clear. The Samaritan showed love to the poor sap dying in a ditch, even though the two men were enemies by nature. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. And yet the poor sap's fellow Jews How did they treat him? (laughs) Thank you. That's funny. Let the record show that the thumbs down sign was given. (laughs) So they were not treated very well. They were actually treated as though, according to Jewish law, they were actually right. They were treated as something unclean. And by default, uncleanable. So, that's not a word, forgive me. But you see that they weren't treated very well. They were pretending not even to see him. Oh, walking around him. Even though he's obviously naked, bleeding, and dying. But not the Samaritan. He showed merciful love to the very man which in the Bible we see would be referred to him as his enemy. Jesus teaches this because, well, we need to learn it. Such compassionate and merciful behavior, by the way, doesn't come naturally to us children of Adam, to our fallen and broken natures. We may by nature have compassion for some, especially some who we like. Hey, my friend needs me. I'm on my way. 
Hey, that guy that was a jerk to me needs me. I'll probably sleep in. But that same isn't always said for those whom we deem an enemy. Instead, what comes natural in the case of an enemy is the old pound of flesh. You know what I'm talking about. Well, you're my enemy. Sort of glad this happened. Mentality. This good, they're getting what they deserve. Jesus teaches otherwise. The good Samaritan had compassion on his enemy. You go and do likewise, he says. Because you'll remember, as we get into this a little bit more, that lawyer was smart. He was really smart. He was so smart, he took on Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm being sarcastic. But as true as this is, there is a major problem with just saying, well, this is just Jesus being moral. Don't get me wrong, Jesus is very clearly teaching that we are to be like the Good Samaritan. There is no denying this fact. And many Christians immediately will cite Matthew 25 and serving Jesus by serving the least of his brethren as further proof that good Christians are to be like the Good Samaritan. After all, we're saying Jesus, we're serving Jesus when we serve and show merciful love to even the lowliest of our enemies. Can we agree on that? Well, I hope so, because it's right. Jesus loved that person enough to even die for them, not to just not cross the street when he saw them, but to actually die for them. His merciful love for them took him all the way to the cross. We show our obedient love to Jesus by showing love to our neighbor, even if that neighbor happens to be somebody we can't stand. Especially we can't stand. Now again, all this is most certainly true. Because even as Lutherans, we have this favorite quote, and I know it's your favorite quote too. I can't prove that. But when Martin Luther will say, talking about works righteousness, how it doesn't exist, how we don't find our salvation by our good works, he will say, God doesn't need your good works. But your neighbor does. Remember, God's not the fallen one. God's not the broken one. God's not the sinful one. He's not the one who needs it. Your neighbor does. You know those other people that God created besides you? Now again, again, as I said, this is most certainly true, but we're missing the key to properly, fully understanding this. We're missing the key point that differentiates this from just being moralistic, therapeutic deism of works righteousness, fill in the blank. We love because blank first loved us. Yeah, sure. That's right. We love only because Christ, God, loved us first. We forgive just as we have been so graciously forgiven. We show mercy to others out of the humble thanksgiving that he has first shown us in such undeserved mercy. 
We didn't make this stuff up. It was shown to us, not just even told to us. It was shown to us at the cross. I've taught on this in the past, I know. But it bears repeating. Jesus Christ is our truly good Samaritan. He is the one who is by nature the enemy of our sinful Adams. The righteousness of the law represented in this parable by the priest and the Levite cannot and does not save a person. You notice, how did their righteousness by following the law help that guy laying there in the ditch? It didn't. They just walked right on by being righteous. The law shows you your sins. That's what it does. You shall not, but you did. You shall not, but you did. That's how it works. The holy law of God shows us how we aren't just half dead or sick with sin, but holy and completely dead in our sin. The law shows you your sin, not just a little peak. Like St. Paul says in the, in the epistle, if the law had been given that we could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, not to those who pick up a shovel. This is why our truly good Samaritan Savior came to you and saved you. You were dead in your trespasses, not just a little, not just a flesh wound, not just a tiny bit under the weather, but dead. In his divine mercy and compassionate love, Jesus stooped down to serve you by pouring out himself on the cross for you and for your salvation. In your baptism, you were washed and made his. Your name is written in the book of life. He is the one who left the glories of paradise and went into the hellish enemy territory of sin, death, and the devil to put you on his shoulders and to carry you out in his holy and life-giving exodus into the heavenly promised land of life everlasting. He is the one who has drowned your sinful death sentence, putting it to death by baptizing you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, baptizing you into his death and his resurrection. It is here at the font that he has poured out his life-giving baptism upon your dead body, your corpse, so to speak, of sin, breathing his holy life into you. He is the one who continues to pour out his life-giving word and body and blood so that you may be nourished and healed and satisfied in his grace, mercy, and peace. 
Saints, just take a moment and think about it. Think about all that your God and Lord has done and continues to do for you. Think about the broken record of a pastor that you have who always says, this is the day the Lord has made. And you say, let us rejoice and be glad in it. I say it because I believe it. I say it because the scriptures say it. I trust in it because the Holy Spirit has given me faith to trust that this is the day the Lord has made. None of this is known by our nature. A kid who grows up by themselves doesn't one day go, hey, you know what's amazing? No one is born with this natural saving knowledge of Christ Jesus or what he has done for them. By nature, all children of Adam, the scriptures say, are children of wrath are ignorant and living in the darkness of sin. By nature, they know that there is something bigger than them. Scripture does point to that. By nature, all children of Adam know there is something terribly wrong with them and that the world they live in, there's something wrong every time they see injustice, every time they see murder, every time they see sickness, every time they see death, they go, well, that's not right. There has never been a people so debased and out of touch that they didn't have a God which they tried to please. If they didn't have a God, they invented one. This is what comes naturally to the children of Adam. This is why by nature every child of Adam has endeavored to do works of the law in an attempt to make things right. We were just talking about this in Bible study today, which happens every Sunday at? Good, now you know when to be there. Because we just talked about this. We talked about how the old Adam, the sinful nature, loves a religion of law, remember? Just tell me what to do so I can just tell my God to shut up. I did what you said, God, oh, yay. But the truth is, is Christianity is not the religion of law. It's the religion of gospel, of undeserved grace, undeserved mercy for sinners such as you and me. People just love to be works righteous. That's why Jesus came, because we were trying to save ourselves. But you do have to teach now. As Christians, we do need to understand what's called an alien righteousness. The alien righteousness of Christ. The all-availing righteousness that is absolutely free and an unmerited gift of God. The all-atoning, all-availing righteousness that is revealed in God's word alone and is only apprehended through faith alone. Faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone. We have all these things that stand by themselves. It is this precious gift of God's gracious, 
Christ-centered justification that takes root and springs up to bear the abundant and God-pleasing fruits of sanctification. We had a whole week of VBS on this. The fruits that joyfully and effortlessly serve God by serving our neighbor. Because remember, God doesn't need our works, but our neighbor does. This is precisely why we teach what needs to be taught and what needs to be heard and what needs to be inwardly digested. The good news of Christ crucified for you. It is this good news of your justification by God's grace alone because of Christ alone that will by his grace take root and bear abundant God-pleasing fruit in you. The fruit that doesn't say what's in it for me. Well, I don't know if I can do that because I'm a really busy person. That isn't the fruit I'm talking about. The fruit that says, oh, obviously because that's my neighbor. And as James 3.9 says, that neighbor was made in the image of God. That's why we help our neighbor. That's why we love them. To cite properly the Matthew 25 text, Lord When did we do these things? (laughs) Those holy sheep who are called blessed in in the Psalms even we hear today. God didn't formulate a plan or a chore list of all the things they had to do in order to please God, in order to earn his favor. Their works of the law didn't save them. Faith in the gospel of Christ saved them. Faith alone The God-pleasing fruit they bore in their everyday lives was born quite naturally for one who has the Holy Spirit. It didn't have to be taught or commanded every day, but it was by faith, by virtue of their birth from above, through water and the Spirit, they had it. Their good and God-pleasing works flowed forth quite naturally and effortlessly out of the joy of their salvation. Their good and God-pleasing works weren't efforts made to incur God's grace to go, God's going to love me like 20% more today. Rather, they were joyful, almost a spiritual reflex response to his grace, his mercy, and his favor. So the same goes for the proverbial Good Samaritan. Jesus justifies him. That is, Jesus declares him good. Not because he did certain or specific good deeds, but because the fruits he bore to his neighbor, even one who was deemed an enemy, Somebody who you might notice would not maybe have done the same thing for him. They were fruits of faith. Fruits that flowed forth out of the joy of his salvation by God's grace alone. He was forgiven much by his God and Father. How could he not in turn forgive? He was loved so much by his God and Father, how could he not in turn love? 
He was shown mercy by his heavenly Father, even though he deserved nothing but present and eternal punishment. He knew the gift of God's grace and mercy to him. How could he not in turn show grace and mercy to others? His was a faith grounded in undeserved mercy and grace and the love of God. So Jesus says, now you go and do likewise. It's a bigger picture, isn't it? Just instructing you. Now you go and do likewise. I've checked the box off. I've taught you how to play baseball. We went in the batting cage. At first it was like this. After a while, you started getting the bunt down. And now our life is the one that says, by the Holy Spirit, he has given us the love of neighbor to continue. May this Christ-centered peace of your justification the peace that passes all understanding and is apprehended only through faith alone in God's grace alone because of Christ alone be and remain with you always. And may it be witnessed in all that you say and do to the glory of Christ's holy name giving the meaning, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be happy. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith in Christ.